are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville, and it's time for the Thursday edition of KVMR's Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank SPD Markets, family-operated for over 60 years, utilizing local farmers and suppliers, offering conventional organic specialty products, bakery goods, hot and cold deli items. They're in Nevada City and Grass Valley, spdmarket.com, and Beneficial Biologics, locally produced organic gardening products founded in Humboldt County in 2010 offering nutrient delivery systems, striving for strong plants and garden performance, distributed nationally, available locally. Product information at beneficialbiologics.com. And Sierra Moon Goldsmiths, family-owned, full-service goldsmith shop, specializing in custom-designed jewelry, open Wednesday through Saturday, noon to 4 p.m. in Old Town Auburn. Information and designs online at sierramoongoldsmiths.com. After the NPR headlines and local weather, we'll have financial news with Gary Zimmerman, followed by national native news, and closing the newscast out with an essay by Molly Fisk. At 6.30, we'll be broadcasting an edition of Making Contact, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first... NPR headlines, followed by local weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Janine Herbst. President Trump and Democratic rival Joe Biden will participate in separate town halls tonight on different television channels, but at the same time. Trump will appear on NBC, which added the program after Biden was already slated to be on ABC at that time. NBC says the decision was based on fairness and not business considerations. It wanted Trump to appear at the same time as Biden did on its network last Thursday. The two men were originally scheduled to debate tonight, but after debate, organizers said the event should be virtual because Trump was being treated for COVID-19. Trump refused to participate. A new NPR-PBS NewsHour Marist poll shows Democrat Joe Biden increasing his advantage over President Trump with less than three weeks to go until Election Day. NPR's Domenico Montanero has more. Biden has now taken a double-digit lead over President Trump in the poll, 54 to 43 percent. That's the highest level of support Biden has achieved in the poll since it began tracking the race back in February. Biden's advantage is driven by strong support from black voters, whites with a college degree, women and people who live in cities and suburbs. Biden's also winning independent voters and now white voters narrowly. That performance with white voters is helping Biden to leads in key swing states. Biden's margin is more narrow among Latino voters. He leads with them, but not by as much as Hillary Clinton did in 2016. That's something to watch in the final weeks as both campaigns try to get out the vote. Domenico Montanaro, NPR News, Washington. That same poll shows Trump's strongest groups continue to be white evangelical Christians, rural voters, and white voters without college degrees. In North Carolina, long lines formed today as early voting opened in the state. 95-year-old Mary Keith said she wasn't going to let the pandemic stop her from voting. I think that we have to maintain, so to speak, our dignity. And um, so I'm looking forward to voting. And I hope everybody feels the same way. 
Early voting is taking place in many parts of the country. California Senator Kamala Harris is canceling campaign events throughout the weekend after a staffer tested positive for coronavirus. NPR Scott Detrow reports. Harris's communications director, Liz Allen, has tested positive for the coronavirus, as has a member of the flight crew on a plane Harris took last week. Harris has tested negative for the coronavirus twice since then. Coronavirus safety has become a major campaign issue amid the pandemic. President Trump and his campaign regularly ignore distancing and masking guidelines. Biden and Harris, on the other hand, wear masks and limit crowd sizes at events to just a couple dozen people at a time. Harris had participated remotely in this week's confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett because she was worried about COVID-19 risks due to the outbreak that infected several Republican senators at Barrett's White House nomination announcement. Scott Detrow, NPR News, Washington. This is NPR. A Texas billionaire has been charged in a $2 billion tax fraud scheme that federal prosecutors say is the biggest case ever against a U.S. citizen. In an indictment against him that was unsealed today, the Department of Justice says 79-year-old Robert Brockman hid the money over 20 years in a complicated scheme that involved false returns and secret bank accounts. He is also charged with investor fraud. In Europe, several nations are tightening restrictions again as the coronavirus outbreak gathers new momentum. As me Nicholson reports, partial lockdowns have been announced in the Czech Republic and the Netherlands, where infection rates are among the region's worst. In the Czech Republic, schools and university students are returning to remote learning and bars, restaurants, cafes and clubs will remain shut for the next three weeks. With Europe's highest number of infections per capita, the Czech Republic is also cancelling non-essential medical procedures to maximise hospital capacity. The Czech Republic was quick to impose its first lockdown in March and was an early adopter of the face mask measures which previously helped to flatten the curve. Similar restrictions have come into effect in the Netherlands today where Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte has also asked the public to avoid taking trains, buses and trams unless absolutely necessary. For now, though, schools remain open. For NPR News, I'm Esme Nicholson in Berlin. Wall Street lower by the closing bell. The Dow down 19 points at 28,494. The Nasdaq down 54 points. The S&P 500 down 5. I'm Janine Herbst and you're listening to NPR News. And taking a look at the weather. First, here in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, looks like we'll have a low of 70 tonight, high of 89 tomorrow, sunny all week, gradually cooling to the low 80s by Monday. Sacramento, a low of 59 tonight, high of 94 tomorrow, sunny through next week, with highs this weekend in the low 90s, cooling to the low 80s next week. And in Truckee, low of 29 tonight, high of 74 tomorrow. Again, sunny through Monday with highs in the mid-70s, cooling by next week, midweek. Well, it's time to speak with KVMR's resident economist, Gary Zimmerman. Uh, it's nice to have you back. Uh, lots of news, Thank as you, always. And now you're retired from the Federal Reserve, so you're a good person to ask this question. Uh, what do you make of Fed Chair Jay Powell's comments about the economy last week? Okay, Paul, good to be back. Um, 
Powell is a good person to listen to on this topic. Um, he basically tells us to act now following the uh, medical experts' advice on COVID-19, masks and social distancing. I think it's telling us he's worried about a, a resurgence of COVID. Um, and to act now on economic policy to support the economy. The uh, failure to do so could be lead to tragic results um, in terms of the recovery or the expansion that's you know going on now. Um, so you know he's he's certainly worried that there are lots of risks to the economy and that the recovery is fragile. And you know again he discussed several important things in his speech to the National Association of Business Economics, it's a group that I belong to over the years. Um, he talks about the important support from fiscal policy by the government to the recovery so far. Uh, he talks about the state of the economic recovery. You know, is is it slowing? Is is the big question? He discusses the need for you know immediate additional support for the economy given its you know fragile situation and the risks from COVID, um, and he he comments on the need to have both monetary policy that's interest rates and and fiscal policy, um, tax and spending policies support growth and do it together. Um, and he compares the risks to the economy of focusing on either boosting growth or just you know, worrying about the increased deficit in the national debt. And he clearly comes down on the side of boosting economic growth now and supporting the economy now. Gary, let's start by talking about how the March government relief package, uh, that was about $2 trillion worth. Um, uh, well, let's talk about that. Now, Powell thinks that spending helped the economy to begin to recover from the sudden and very deep recession caused by the t pandemic. Uh, what is your opinion on that? Well, I, I'd agree. And I, I, let me first also note that monetary policy by the Federal Reserve, um, the Fed stopped interest rates rising gradually in March and um, lowered short-term interest rates back to near zero as the pandemic hit. The Fed also bought additional trillions in um, government securities, government debt to drive down long-term interest rates. So that's, you know, the way the Fed has been helping stimulate the recovery um, you know, from the huge 2020 recession that started in February. You know, and then in the spring, when Congress passed the $2 trillion package of spending and lending programs decide, uh, designed to provide relief to the over what would turn out to be over 40 million people who lost their jobs since February, you know, that was support for small businesses, for, for um, general support for putting money into the hands of the public, um, support with um, increased um, funds going to the unemployed workers who are going to need it to, to keep going. So that was an important action that helped workers and businesses to survive and to continue spending so that the economy didn't collapse and, and into an even worse recession and and so that it would the economy would begin to turn up or rebound faster. And, and Powell notes that he thinks that was a critical part of the economy's recovery so far. And I'd certainly agree. It was an, you know really important to have both the Fed interest rate policy and the government tax and especially spending policies supporting a rebound in the economy. Um, earlier in the year, and that's exactly what Powell is calling for to happen now again. Um, you know, he thinks the big risk right now <laughs> is you know, that things get worse. And, you know, on top of that, you've had the president, you know, coming back, coming in with, you know, basically stopping negotiations for fiscal policy support and going back and forth on that. 
Let's talk about that. Um, it, was, wasn't it extraordinary that hours after Powell's plea for additional government support for the economy, the president tweeted an end to the negotiations for an additional stimulus package? Kind of strange, don't you think? <laughs> well, I, would, I wouldn't say just extraordinary, Paul, but I would say shocking. Um, you know, it's it's. You know, and it clearly had an immediate negative impact on the financial markets and, and longer run it's created a lot of uncertainty about the recovery and added to economic resist uh, risks, excuse me, um, you know, especially, as, you know, as president keeps, you know, has changed his position in the last, you know, since then a couple of times. So he's you know, been flip flopping on this, you know, um, you know, as Powell noted. You know, time is of the essence here, and the longer you wait, the more problems arise, the more evictions, the more bankruptcies, you know, spending falls, more businesses fail, more state and local governments have problems and increase layoffs. You know, so you basically get more spreading and deepening and lengthening of the recession. And that's, you know, critical. And, you know, the other the other part of the sort of the problems caused by the president's comment was he, he also said the president said you know the economy is coming back in his tweet the economy is coming back at record rates so no help is needed um, and you know there, <laughs> Powell might have some something to say about that as well okay well Gary is the e- economic recovery really slowing down haven't we been adding lots of jobs and isn't the GDP rising again well, Paul, the, the economy fell in a huge hole in the second quarter. Total output fell by about 10, 10% in three months. That's beyond extraordinary, and it's a huge recession. That's about four years of normal growth for the U.S. economy That's goes went away in a, in a flash. Um, and, and it'll take years to make up for that loss without, you know, additional government support. And it'll take even longer without, you know, without the type of support that Powell is looking for. So back back to your question, yes, the economy is expanding again, uh, but it has a long way, very long ways to go, um, as Powell notes, and he also is concerned about its you know, fragility. Uh, only about half of the 22 million uh, payroll jobs that were lost in the spring have been added back to payrolls. So we're still down, you know, over, over you know, 10, 11 million workers. Uh, unemployment has fallen from a peak of about 15% to 7.9%, but 7.9% is still a very high level recession level of of workers who have left the labor force. So, you know, again, the overall unemployment rate could, would have been much higher uh, had they not dropped out of the labor force. You know, so yes, the economy is recovering, GDP is growing, but it's, you know, not going to grow fast enough to make up for the huge loss in, in the second quarter. Um, and Powell notes in his comments that there's, you know, lots of evidence that the pace or the speed of the recovery is slowing. And now that raises concerns about the risk that the economy could just plain stall out if something, you know, hits, you know, get another shock. So Powell notes a significant decline in personal income in, in August. You know, part of that comes from the end of the unemployment support that uh, had been coming to work, the unemployed workers. Um, that's that's a big chunk. Um, the trend is towards much smaller increases in employment. The, the lowest so far has been the, the sep- September increases with right smaller than expected. Um, we've got continued high levels of layoffs, and more worrisome is that more of them are permanent today um, than they were earlier in the year when they were expected to be just temporary. So we've had also a large number of workers, as I noted, who have left the labor force. Um, 
And that, that shrinks productive capacity. And the longer the recession goes on, the, the worse that gets. And Powell also notes that, you know, it's particularly the workers on the low end of the wage scale, women and minorities who've been hard hit by this recession in terms of increased unemployment and, and reduced earnings. Okay, uh, Gary, now with the slowing economy, what can the Fed and government do in general to help workers, businesses, and cash-strapped state and local governments? How can it help them get over the slowdown? Okay, again, Paul, what the federal government did in the spring with the initial relief packages for the economy, essentially to big increase in spending that puts money into the hands of folks who are going to spend it, particularly those would be the, the unemployed. So support for the, you know, the, the 11 million unemployed workers, or it's actually a, a larger number than that, but in that we were down 11 million in the payroll employment. Um, so the, the spending package, the Treasury Secretary and the Speaker of the House were negotiating before the president stopped them was in, you know, in the $2 trillion range that was discussing you know, unemployment uh, assistance to workers, um, or to unemployed workers, uh, support for small businesses, airlines, uh, state and local governments, you know, general stimulus checks to increase spending uh, throughout the economy. Um, you know, as Powell noted, you know, there's a we have a long way to go with the recovery, and the wrong policy now could be, you know, lead to tragic economic conditions. And he's looking at a number of signs that are pointing to, you know, just the immediate need for more support, like like the slowing slowing recovery um, in, the, in the depth of the recession. And you know, in, with in terms of what the Fed can do, interest rates are already as low about as low as they can get them so it's really going to be much more dependent on fiscal policy the government tax and spending policies particularly spending to step in and provide the support in this emergency situation so powell's priority is to get relief to those who need it and do that now and the vehicle for that is very large fiscal policy support package you know much like what we saw in the spring uh, one more question, Gary. Um, I'm going to put on my Tea Party hat here. <laughs> Gary, aren't there risks caused by more spending, more deficit spending? And was Fed Chair Powell worried about that? And hasn't the national debt been something he has been concerned about in the past? Okay, Paul. Uh, yes, Powell has warned about national debt and deficits uh, adding to it in the past. And he certainly addresses this. And I think for a pretty forcefully. Um, let me well, actually let me quote from him if I get this right. Um, too little support you know, for the economy would lead to a weak recovery, uh, creating unnecessary hardship for households and businesses, Powell said in remarks to the National Association of Business Economics. Um, over time, household insolvencies and business bankruptcies would rise, harming the productive capacity of the economy and holding back wage growth, he said. By contrast, the risks of overdoing it seem for now to be much smaller. And by, by overdoing it, he means, you know, <laughs> borrowing. Um, you know, to, I guess to put it another way, he basically, he said, you know, weakness feeds on weakness. And uh, so that's the big risk he sees right now is not acting or not taking enough action to support the economy. Uh, that is, a, he considers that a much larger, much, much, much larger risk and pretty much discounts the risk that adding to the deficit right now is going to be uh, anywhere near the, the problem that failing to support the economy in this, you know, fragile and highly risky situation. Um, so, you know, I think this is, you know, 
very sound advice from the Fed chair, given the serious recessionary risks and the depth of the recession. Um, you need the, you know, that critical economic support now to make sure that the recovery continues, especially if we get a, a resurgence in the pandemic. Gary, uh, thank you so much and look forward to speaking with you um, as soon as we need to. <laughs> I hope we've got a while, Paul. <laughs> thank you, Gary. Okay, thank you. Talk Paul. to you soon. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the Federal Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. This is National Native News. I'm Megan Kamrick in for Antonia Gonzalez. The Navajo Nation has joined other Native American tribes in urging all their members to immediately complete the 2020 census following a ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court Tuesday halting the census count. President Jonathan Nez told KOAT-TV that the tribe is pushing ahead. We're not just going to roll over and give up. We're going to keep doing what we need to do to get our Navajo citizens counted. KJZZ reported the response rate on the Navajo Nation is about 22 percent. In the Gila River Indian community, it's only about 12.5 percent. Both tribes joined in a lawsuit seeking to reinstate an earlier extension of the census count. In a statement, Gila Governor Stephen Rowe Lewis called the Supreme Court ruling a bitter pill. He said, quote, with no explanation or rationale, a majority simply decided that our people do not deserve to be counted. James Tucker, a pro bono attorney for the Native American Rights Fund, is on a committee advising the U.S. Census Bureau on barriers to census participation faced by Alaska Natives and Native Americans. He told KJZZ the COVID-19 pandemic has hampered the census count and also shown how important the count is. Every person in every household that's not counted, that's costing a tribe. In, in the case of the CARES Act money, it costs some tribes tens of millions of dollars. Tucker said it could also cost Arizona an additional congressional seat. The deadline to complete the form online at 2020census.gov is before 6 a.m. Eastern Time, October 16th. People can also complete the form over the phone at 844-330-2020. Mailed census forms must be postmarked by October 15th. Thomas Atsidi, who previously served as Navajo Nation president, has died. He was 86. The Farmington Daily Times reported he died of natural causes. Atsidi served in the New Mexico legislature for 15 years until he stepped down in 1995 to become Navajo vice president. He stepped into the presidency in 1998 after the previous president resigned. But he was removed later that year for accepting gifts from companies that sought to do business with the tribe. Before his political career, Atsidi served in the Marines. He was also president president of Navajo Community College, which later became Diné College. Incumbent Oglala Sioux President Julian Bearrunner is in third place in the tribe's primary election results announced Wednesday. The unofficial results posted on the tribe's Facebook page show Bearrunner is behind former state senator Kevin Killer and former Oglala President John Yellowbird Steele. Final election results could be released by the end of the week. The general election is November 3rd. Bear Runner is the second youngest president in Oglala Sioux history. He was first elected in 2018 at age 33. 
Bear Runner has suffered a series of scandals in recent months, including a drunk driving arrest and allegations of sexual misconduct with a minor. He denies the allegations. He survived an impeachment vote by the Tribal Council in September. In July, the council suspended him for 30 days after he instituted a reservation-wide lockdown, but failed to notify the council. Arizona Congressman Raul Grijalva is calling for an investigation into the use of force against protesters earlier this week at a border checkpoint in southern Arizona. Cronkite News reports members of the Tohono O'odham tribe blocked part of a state highway to protest border wall construction on ancestral lands. In response, Arizona Department of Public Safety troopers used smoke and tear gas and fired rubber bullets. The confrontation took place on Indigenous Peoples Day, which was officially recognized by Arizona for the first time this year. Tohono O'odham Nation Chairman Ned Norris Jr. in a press release called the use of tear gas on tribal members and fellow American citizens appalling and, quote, something that should not be tolerated in our democracy. A spokesperson for Arizona DPS said the department reviews all use of force incidents and will do so with this incident as well. For National Native News, I'm Megan Kamrick. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center dedicated to cancer research, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous populations. A no-charge online risk assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org slash assessme. For Native Americans affected by domestic violence, the Strong Hearts Native Helpline offers peer-to-peer support and resources. It's safe, confidential, and toll-free at 844-7-NATIVE. Program support by the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. You're listening to Community Supported Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino Placerville, and this is the Thursday edition of KVMR's Evening News. KVMR's news program airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, we have this week's edition of Making Contact, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Closing out today's newscast, we have Molly Fisk with an essay. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet Sometimes life is simple. You wash the dinner plate and leave it to dry in the dish drainer, and it does. You forget to put cat food bowls up on the counter. Skunks come in at 3 a.m., and in the morning the bowls are empty. Not cause and effect exactly, but a logical progression of events. Predictable. Even comforting, as long as you're not afraid a cat will startle the skunks and some dreadful smell permeate your dreams and then every inch of your house. I have this excellent but sometimes annoying life coach who likes to say, well, it either will or it won't, when I present her with a topic I'm frantic about. That awful person is going to steal the election again. Wildfire will burn our whole town. She smiles. He will or he won't. It will or it won't. I find this maddening, but what she's trying to say is whatever happens is less important than how you respond. 
If a wildfire burns down my town, I will figure out how to handle it. I'll find a place to stay and have a lot of feelings, and eventually I'll live somewhere else. It's not complicated. She doesn't ignore injustice and damage or condone it. George Floyd's death was a true devastation to his family and a horror to everyone who cares about humanity. If that awful person steals the election again, it will mean real danger to many. But she wants me to think about what power I have and don't have in a situation and understand the difference. I find this helpful. As with the skunks, I'm making a choice. I don't want to lock the cat door, which would keep them out of the house, because my cats would wake me all night to get in and out. When I put the food out of reach, they hoover up what's on the floor, and it's actually convenient. I can vote. I have voted. I can drive people to polls, babysit kids while their parents vote, donate time and money to candidates I respect, and protest in person when we get a COVID vaccine. But I can't, actually, all by myself, stop him from stealing the election. So for me to spend time being upset as events unspool before us isn't useful. What I need, what I think we all need, is enough inner stability, resilience, if you will, to keep going now when it's hard, and a trust in myself that I can cope with whatever happens next. We've all gone through hardship, deaths, divorce, illnesses, shocks, setbacks, and reversals. Many of us have endured a degree of systemic oppression, whether we understand that clearly, the way Native Americans do, or more obliquely, as a conservative white female CEO who's successful and wealthy, but has never once been paid as much as her male counterparts. We know the process, if not the specific events that are coming. We've survived and changed, adapted to new conditions, made ourselves over, It's often not fun while it's happening, but there can be moments of hilarity and even joy. We find people who understand us. We relearn the strength of community. As they say in 12-step meetings, it's not easy, but it is simple. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Next Tuesday night at 6 p.m., get to know the real Amy Goodman. From New York, this is Democracy Now! Yes, Amy Goodman talks to KVMR sustaining members in a Zoom session on the 2020 election. How does she see the race for the presidency going? How is the vote being impacted by the pandemic? Amy will be joining our sustainers, members who make a monthly donation to KVMR for this special Zoom get-together. Amy Goodman, Tuesday night, 6 p.m. KVMR sustaining members are automatically invited Tuesday morning. Check your junk mail folder if you don't receive your invite. You get to have Amy and many of your KVMR comrades live in your house. 
Think about that. No social distancing necessary because we bring the world and Amy to you and yours Tuesday night at 6. And that's our newscast for this evening. Next up, we have Making Contact and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Gooden. Thanks for listening, folks.